In our household growing up, I remember us getting into uh, a TV show on PBS called Antiques Roadshow. Anybody else? Couldn't have been, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think there's still new episodes being made of that, if, if uh, I recall. But uh, um, So if you're not familiar with the show, it's, uh, it's this traveling road show um, comprised of experts in all kinds of areas. And so the, the show will come to a city and then people will bring their historical treasures to be appraised by uh, the appropriate experts. And the hope, of course, is that, that these treasures are, are, are monetary treasures as well, right? That they're actually worth something. And what sometimes happens is you'll get, a, uh, you'll get someone who, who thinks they're sitting on a priceless treasure and they'll bring it to the expert and the expert will say, well, it's actually a forgery, you know, and their, their hopes and dreams are dashed in that moment because they find out they've got a fake. But, uh, but other times uh, a person will just bring you know, something seemingly inconspicuous and, and find out that it's got this crazy history to it and, and, and then it's appraised for tens of thousands or sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's really quite interesting. Now, now the experts on the show have to be ready to assign value to a vast array of items. And, and I think that's one of the reasons the show is so popular, like you, you just never know what's going to be brought in next, right? And uh, now I'm quite sure through the magic of television that, that the experts get to do plenty of research on the item before it's brought to their table. I'm sure that's not the very first time that they've seen it. It only looks like they have all this knowledge on the tops of their heads, right? And they're, they're more knowledgeable than me. I'm not trying to tear them down completely, but <laughs> there's some magic of TV there. But, but for a moment, let's just let's assume, let's imagine that, that they have to be ready for anything, that, that whatever gets set down in front of them, they have to be able to give it a correct value on the spot, then and there. What would happen if I walked up to the table and I sat down on the table and I said, appraise me? ascribe value to me. How would they go about doing that? How would they ascribe value to me or to you? Right? And that seems kind of like a funny question, maybe an outlandish question to ask, but, but can I suggest that's not really an outlandish question at all? And, and can I suggest that we actually do this all the time? We do it with ourselves and we do it with others if we're being honest. Right? Whether we realize it or not, we're, we're constantly assigning a certain value to people. Now, okay, we're not opening our wallet and giving out cash in exchange for a person. Right? That's illegal. That's immoral. We're not doing that. But we make plenty of judgment calls, don't we, based on, on what we consider to be someone's value. Right? And so, so this morning, I'm hoping that, that, that through the work of God within us, we can renew our minds regarding the value of personhood, because people do have value. But the question is, how much value? What's that value like? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, in our, in our discussion of sexuality last week, 
we spent some time in the first pages of Genesis, and I said that, well, we'll be back here at times in the coming weeks, and today's one of those times. We're going to be back there again. So, so turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 so that we can set the, the foundation for the value of personhood. And as you're doing that, I, I, I do want to repeat myself a little bit from last week and remind us that, that what I'm going to say today, I say to us. I say to us as followers of Jesus, right? We can't expect someone who does not view the Bible as true to agree with the statements that I'm going to make from the Bible about the value of personhood according to what God has said. So, so my sermon today isn't ammo for a battle against our culture. Uh, my prayer is that God will use the time to transform us by the renewal of our minds as we think about this topic. So, so as it pertains to the value of personhood, look with me at the statement that God made at his creation of mankind. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the big thing to note in those two verses is the threefold statement that God created mankind in his image. We've heard this before. I'm I'm probably not saying anything that, that isn't brand new, but But being created in the image of God, this is something which is distinct from the rest of creation. All creation has value because of its creator. But mankind has a unique value because we are a reflection of him. We are created in his image. Now, it's referred to as as the imago Dei. That's, That's Latin for the image of God. The imago Dei. Theologians have have lots of discussions about the finer details pertaining to the image of God upon mankind. There there really is a lot to explore there. At the very least, being made in the image of God means that we are persons consisting of a physical body and spiritual soul. Nothing else in the physical world can claim that, can claim that they have a spiritual soul. The angels in the spiritual realm can't claim that. They don't have a physical body. There's a uniqueness to mankind. Um, Jesus is said to be the exact image of God. And we as fellow humans are created in that image. We are unique in that way. Now again, there's there's a lot that can be explored there regarding the nature of that. But but for our discussion this morning, What I really want us to note is is that there is inherent value that rests upon mankind because we are created in the image of God. And the value is further proclaimed in Genesis chapter 9, if you'd like to turn there. So immediately after the flood, in Genesis 9, Noah and his family, they depart from the ark, and, and there is this recommissioning of mankind. 
God again speaks of mankind's purpose along with reinforcing the value of all life in general, but then human life in particular. So, so look with me at Genesis chapter 9. I'll start in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Again, this is linking back to Genesis 1. It says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. For his fellow man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. So again, the language here is, is linking back to Genesis chapter 1. God wanted mankind to recognize the value of human personhood as the result of his image being upon each person. And he's so serious about it that he would require a person's own life from them should they choose to take the life of a fellow image bearer. Now, now the reason we must uh, renew our minds in this area as opposed to being conformed to the world is because our, our fallen world does not attribute this high image of God value upon all persons. Value is attributed, but it's often it's often along the lines of social worth, economic worth, cultural worth, personal benefit, right? What kind of benefit are you to me? I mean, that, that's, that's often the value that, that the world will put on a person. God, on the other hand, sees all people as value, being his image bearers. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18, God has said to execute justice for the fatherless, for the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. The, those whom our fallen world tends to devalue, God continues to value appropriately as his image bearer. And all throughout the Bible, we're called to recognize and we're called to respond to this same value inherent in each and every person. It starts in Genesis and it goes throughout Scripture. So that, that's the foundation. When we, when we talk about the value of personhood, that's where we start. The image of God, each person being made in the image of God. And, and again, as I said, there's so much more that could be explored about that concept, the Imago Dei. If you'd like a little bit more, in the, the discipleship email that goes out at noon today, there'll be a link in there to a, a, about a half-hour podcast that talks about this topic that, that I found very thought-provoking. So if you'd like a little bit more there, feel free to, to listen to that and explore that a little deeper. But for the rest of our time this morning, we're going to talk about the application of that, the application of that foundation that every person is created in the image of God. Um, I came across a, uh, 
a quote from the former Vice President Hubert Humphrey that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, he once said that the moral test of government is how that government treats those who are in the dawn of life, the children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, and those who are in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, and the handicapped. I thought that was interesting. I, I, think, those, I think those three categories which he mentions are, are spot on when we think about, not, not government, but ourselves as followers of Jesus, when we examine the ways that we are applying that truth that all people are created in the image of God. You know, the Bible has something to say about each one of those categories. And so I've divided things up according to those categories. I've, I've titled them slightly differently than, than, uh, than he did. Beginning value, ending value, and value throughout life. The Bible speaks to value in all of those areas. So, so let's talk about value at the beginning of life. That seems like a good place to start, right, at the beginning. So the value at the beginning of life. If our foundation for the value of personhood is, is all people being made in the image of God, then a valid question to ask is, at what point does a person first possess the imago Dei? It's a valid question. Is it when a person can first grasp the spiritual realm? Is that it? Is it when a person can first reason? Is it when a person first emerges from their mother's womb? Is it when a person can first survive outside the mother's womb? Is it at the point of conception? I mean, the, the, the distinction matters because the moment a person possesses the Imago Dei is the moment they first have that high value that comes with it. And while the Bible does not say the Imago Dei is first possessed at moment X, right? The Bible doesn't say that. We're given enough. We're given enough to know the answer with confidence. So, for example, in Exodus chapter 21, this is immediately after giving his people the Ten Commandments. God next gave them laws pertaining to the value of human life. And in that chapter, in verses 22 through 25, we're given an example regarding the value of children still in their mother's womb. And so uh, the situation being addressed is that of two men who are fighting. And in the scrum, a, a pregnant woman is struck. And at that point, the focus of the law immediately shifts to the, the unborn child. Now, if the child comes out of the womb unharmed, then only a fine shall be paid by the man. But if there's harm to the child resulting in death, then the penalty is life for life. So going back to Genesis chapter 9, what was required there at the taking of life outside of the womb is no different in, in uh, Exodus chapter 21 for taking of life inside the womb. Equal penalty communicates equal value. And then in addition to that, you go to a place like Psalm 139, the words of David. He, he gives us this poetic and, and joyful statement about the value of a person's life inside the womb. God praises David for being knitted together in the, in the womb. He sees himself as fearfully, wonderfully made. He gives praises for God's wonderful works. 
He speaks of God seeing his unformed, his unformed substance. So, so again, there isn't a direct statement, but the clear indication is that the value of a person due to being created in the image of God is present prior to birth at the time of conception. Now, this has implications pertaining to abortion, right? That's usually the first place that we go in this discussion. And, and for good reason, that's the first place we go. If, if, if the value of a child in the womb were to be set by their parents or, or even just by their mother alone, then it would be their choice what to do with that child. It would be. If they assigned to their child less value than, than a job or, or an education or their own well-being, then, then they'd be free to act accordingly. But because value is not set by parents, but by the creator who made each and every child in his image, then the value of that person must be recognized accordingly. Now again, a person who isn't a follower of Jesus, what I just said probably doesn't matter. Right? But again, I'm not, I'm not talking to, to them, I'm talking to us. Right? This is, this is we, we must treat all unborn children with that high value, but it's not just unborn children. It's unborn and all children, all dependent children, according to their value as God's image bearers. So, yes, we should be opposed to abortion. It also means we come alongside mothers and fathers in crisis pregnancies in, in radically loving ways. It leads us to do that as well. It also means we support orphan care. We support foster care. We do it directly. We do it indirectly. It means we celebrate sacrifices made by parents to care for their dependent children. It means we, we step up as mentors, as Providers as disciplers, when parents are absent or uh, when, when they're absent due to whatever reason, whether it's tragedy, whether it's rejection, whether it's consequence of sinful behavior, whatever it is. I mean, the, attributing high value, image of God value to children applies to abortion, most definitely, but it goes beyond that as well. And so, you know, I mean, there's so many specific situations that we could, that we could uh, address this morning, but, but there, there's more we need to get to. The question we can ask ourselves is, am I attributing appropriate value to those who are at the beginning of life? Am I attributing appropriate value to, to all those at the beginning of life? Do I value them in the same way that God does? And do my actions support my beliefs and my words? So we see that, that at the beginning, this value of personhood is present. It also applies at the other end of life as well, at the end of life. Again, when our world assigns value to a person, according to social worth, economic, cultural, personal benefit, it, it's going to naturally devalue those at the end of life. When that's how value is decided, that's what's going to happen. As we age, our bodies slow and they break. It, 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 it's what happens. Our energy level decreases, our, our dependence level upon others increases. Our fallen world sees those things and, and adjusts its value accordingly. It's, it's just what happens. 
But God's word in the Bible reminds us of the imago Dei upon all people, and that leads us to treat people with aging bodies accordingly, according to that value. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32, God tells the people, he tells his people to stand up before the gray head, honor the face of an old man. Job states in chapter 12 that wisdoms with the aged understanding in length of days. Uh, Solomon states in Proverbs 16, gray hairs, the crown of glory. Uh, Chapter 20, he says, the splendor of old men is in their gray hair. Uh, God tells his people in Isaiah 46, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. As followers of Jesus, we, we must see the enduring value of all people, along with the unique blessings of, uh, unique blessings which an older person brings to the table, right? Again, something that our fallen world isn't gonna be likely, not nearly as likely to do. So, so for younger followers of Jesus, we must do that. We must see the value of those who are the older season of life. The, the value of a person can't be tied to their knowledge of what the hashtag trailer means, right? And if you don't know trailer, it comes from our sudden fascination with Travis Kelsey and, and Taylor Swift, right? And are they dating or not dating? Who even knows? And if you don't know who those two people are, that has zero effect on your value. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not where value comes from. It's just not. So younger followers of Jesus, we must treat those older according to the value they possess as bearers of the image of God. And older followers of Jesus must do this as well. It's not just the young people. I've seen times when the the primary culprit devaluing the life of an older person is that person themselves. I've seen that. Maybe you've seen that too. Maybe you've felt that yourself. We must renew our minds as it pertains to our own value in the latter years of our lives. Yeah, physical strength, it fades away. The Imago Dei does not. That remains. Our value in God's sight, it's not tied to the number of hours we work each week. It's not tied to the number of steps we take each day, the number of doctor appointments we go to, the number of pills we take. None of that matters. Those things have zero effect on our value. So our church, our homes, must be places where the value of older people is rightly held. And again, I... Man, there's, there, there's so many specific things we could explore on, on this topic too, but, but I have confidence that the Holy Spirit will lead us to appropriate applications as we open ourselves to him, as we consider, again, that at the beginning and end of life, we are equally valued, valued due to the image of God being upon us. But I do want to highlight one specific end-of-life application that I think is worthwhile, especially pressing in our, our context today, and that's, that's the topic of euthanasia. So due to medical advancements today, end-of-life is an increasingly difficult area to navigate. It, it, it just is. There's so many specific decisions to be made 
about end-of-life issues. Um, let me first say that we must work to distinguish between decisions that cause the end of life and decisions which don't stop the end of life. That there's, there's differences there. Um, another quote I came across was by Wayne Gruden. I think he said it so well in his book on Christian ethics. He said, a clear distinction must be made between killing and letting die. Killing is actively doing something to a patient that hastens or causes his or her death. On the other hand, letting die is passively allowing someone to die from other causes without interfering in, with that process. In the first case, the cause of death is the actions taken by another person. In the second case, the cause of death is the disease, injury, or aging process that has already been occurring in the person who dies. Our, our broken, not yet resurrected physical bodies can and will face painful health situations. And the emotional toll can be as bad or worse as the physical toll at times. But in those moments, we, we must not discount the work that God continues to do in us. And it's not, it's not just our physical bodies, but in our souls as well. Paul himself stated that he desired to depart and be with Jesus, but he knew there was more yet which God was doing in him and through him. James writes, we ought to consider it pure joy when facing trials because those trials produce steadfastness, making a person perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So even, even when the physical and emotional road before us or before our loved ones is daunting, God continues to work in the life of a person who is made in his image. He does not abandon his image bearers. His purposes for his image bearers does not end. Some of us have faced a medical diagnosis like that in our lives. Some of us have, have faced that with a loved one. For those of us who haven't yet gone through that, odds are we're going to face it in some way in the future, whether us or a loved one or a friend, whoever it might be. When our fallen world and, and, and when our own fallen thoughts tell us that life is no longer worth living, we must remember that we are God's image bearer. And as long as there is breath in our body, God is doing a good work in us, and he's doing a good work through us. It can be painful, yes, but God is accomplishing things, and we must hold on to that, recognizing our value and the value of others as well. So value at the beginning of life, value at the end of life, but we can talk about value throughout a person's life as well. Probably gonna sound like a broken record, but there's so many things we could talk about with that, so many specific ways we could apply it. And I'm just gonna, I've chosen two this morning that I think maybe capture the essence of, of many others. Um, First, again, because we are born into a fallen world as fallen humans, our bodies, our minds, our emotions are broken. They are impacted by our sinful nature. We're fallen, we're broken. So our bodies, our minds, our emotions are not as they should be. 
Now they will be as they should be after our bodily resurrection. They will be at one point, but at this point in the process, we're still dealing with the effects of the fall. And so because of that, people are born with genetic mutations of different kinds. Sometimes that'll reveal itself in minor ways. Other times it reveals itself in major ways that significantly impact a person's life. Sometimes the mutations are, are, are uh, seen physically in a person's body. Other times they're more hidden in the mind. And when I say mutations, I don't, I don't mean we're mutants, right? I'm not speaking of us in that way. I'm speaking of genes that have have uh, been mutated to, to, into something they're not meant to be, right? That we're born with genetic mutations, and the pattern of our fallen world is to look at someone with limitations because of genetic mutation and adjust value accordingly. That, that's, that's what the fallen world does. But yet again, even though our bodies are born broken with mutations of various kinds, the image of God upon us is not diminished. In fact, those mutations could cause the image of God to shine even more brightly within us. This is, this is where we have to have our minds transformed, whether it's our own body, whether it's the body of someone that we know. The image of God persists and shines forth even in the midst of brokenness. I was, uh, I was struck by Paul's words in his... Uh, his second letter to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's where Paul talks about his famous thorn in the flesh. Um, Bible scholars like to speculate about what that thorn exactly was. And the honest answer is we don't know. The most common guess is that, that it was poor eyesight, that Paul was dealing with, with diminished eyesight in some way. If that truly is the case, Paul's poor eyesight could have led to, to him being devalued, either by others or by himself. But, but listen to what Paul writes to the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, and he's talking about these visions of heaven that he had previously, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when we or when anyone else struggles with brokenness in our bodies, we, we must recognize the great work that God can and will do as we rest in his power. Our world does not boast in weaknesses. Our world tries to hide weaknesses, remove, diminish weaknesses, whatever the cost. We must see the image of God upon a person in their weakness and brokenness. And that will lead us to act accordingly then, to treat a person with honor, respect, dignity. It will lead us to make sacrifices so that 
We might be the hands and feet of Jesus working in a person's life. And when we find ourselves in that same type of situation, struggling with physical brokenness, we, we must continue to view ourselves as the dearly loved image bearers that we are. Our value in God's sight remains constant. And the work that God is doing in and through us is to no lesser degree because of that. In fact, it might be to a greater degree in that situation. Value remains. I wanted to end this morning by talking about anger. That might seem like an odd topic, right? Like, how, how in the world does that apply to what we're talking about today? Well, turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. In, and we're going to see, <clears throat> excuse me, we're going to see what Jesus said in the, the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5, follow along with me. We'll start in verse 21, and then after we read it, I'll tell you why I brought this topic into the conversation. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So, so Jesus began this section by talking about the prohibition against murder. And, and again, the command not to murder is grounded in the foundation of all people possessing the Imago Dei. But what Jesus does here is he points out how being angry with someone falls into the same category. To murder a person is to, to disregard or, or to devalue the image of God within that person. Likewise, to lash out in anger at a person is to disregard or devalue the image of God within a person. I mean, the, the truth of the matter is that there can be times in our lives when we completely ignore the value of other people. Through our anger, or, or it could be other responses, we can reject the value of another person who's made in the image of God. Our anger might come from feeling like we're treated wrongly. Our anger might come from disagreeing with someone on a topic that's important to us. Our anger might actually be rooted in something completely separated from the person to whom we are directing our anger. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus who rightly value all persons, then we must have our minds renewed as it pertains to our anger. Next time you feel anger toward a person rising within you, pause for a moment and, and ask God to reveal to you his image upon that person. Ask him to help you uh, see them and value them as he does. And when we do that, man, <laughs> we can take note of what happens to our anger in that moment when the person in front of us all of a sudden isn't our enemy, but is an image bearer of God. That ought to impact 
how we treat them. I mean, we, we, we cannot allow anger to rule our lives while simultaneously claiming that we are treating other people according to their value as image bearers. Those two things don't go hand in hand. So if we look at this whole thing this morning, talked about value at the beginning, value at the end, value throughout life. Every person, every person, regardless of age, race, gender, physical ability, mental capacity, political association, even religious belief, every person is a divinely created image bearer of God. And as such, every person possesses the utmost value that comes with that. So as followers of Jesus, we must recognize this and live accordingly. A good test for us, if we just look in the news and all that's going on, it is going on over in Israel. Do we view Israelis with this, having the same image of God upon them as we do a person who's in the Hamas? Not saying we agree equally <laughs> with, with actions taken, but do we see the same value in each one? It's a good test for us as, uh, as far as current events go. We must recognize the image of God upon every person and live accordingly. A person ought to leave an interaction with us and feel like they were valued in that way. Again, doesn't mean we agree with every person on everything, but will they feel like we valued them as, as they should be valued? I, my prayer is that my mind, our minds, will, will be consistently renewed in this area through the work of God within us. May our minds be renewed to the point where we, we cannot interact with someone without seeing them and treating them according to their true value, that of an image bearer of God. And that, that's my hope and prayer, that it, that just flows naturally from us, that every person we come into contact with, we see that, and we then value it, we act according to it. And God will do that, right, as we dwell in his word, as we seek to allow him to renew our minds, he will lead us into that. And that's his will, if we go back to, uh, to Romans chapter 2. That's his will, that we would see that in each and every person and value them accordingly. So let's stand together. Let's come before God. And again, I think we need to respond in two main ways. One, by thanking him for his image, for us being created in his image, the value that comes with it, and then asking him to help us to live that out and how we view ourselves, how we view others as well. So let's come to God in prayer. Father, we're, we're here, each and every one of us this morning, and we're made in your image. And that is such a wonderful, special, unique blessing upon us. God, and there's... There's so much there to explore, the details of that, but, but regardless, we know the high value that comes with it. And I thank you that each and every one of us possesses that high value. God, would you help us
first to see ourselves in that way. There's things in our lives that can cause us to question our own value, our own dignity, our own worth. God, renew our minds, remind us that who we are in you, being created in your image, that never changes, no matter what happens to us, that remains. God, would you help us to find hope in that, rest in that, peace in that. God, and then may we not just see ourselves that way, but others as well. Every person, from the very first moment of life to the last. God, help us to see your image in each person we come in, into contact with. And there's times where that can be very difficult. If we're honest, we struggle with that in certain situations or with certain people. God, but would you empower us in that way? Would you give us your eyes, give us your heart? God, may we be people who don't just say that all people have value, but that we act it out in every circumstance. And God, forgive us when we do less than that. Remind us of, of the truth. Give us the humility to repent. God, we want to be known as people who, who value everyone and who do so because that person is made in your image. God, lead us into that each and every day. We give you the praise this morning. We worship you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.